generally the idea that the health systems of the EU should be digitized, sure, you know, it makes things more efficient. Make it possible for people to be treated across borders in the EU? Yes, absolutely. That's super useful for people traveling. Um, it's just, let's, not, let's make sure that people have control over their own, their own medical records. Hello and very warm welcome to Euroactive's Health Podcast, where every week we dive into EU health policy and bring you the latest health news from Europe. This week, we will be looking at European health data space and discuss what is the situation regarding the privacy of our medical records in the current Commission's proposal. And should we be concerned about how our health records might be reused? Yes, we are talking here about the secondary use of our health data. To help me to dig into this topic, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jan Penfrat, Senior Policy Advisor at European Digital Rights an association of civil and human rights organizations from across Europe that, as it says on their website, aims to defend our rights and freedoms in the digital environment. First of all, Jan, thank you so much for being with us today. Before we start, just to keep everyone on the same page, um, I want to highlight that European Health Data Space proposal focuses on two aspects. One is the primary use of healthcare data. So to put it in simple terms, it aims to make sharing of our health data easier across the block and even in the same country. So let's say if I travel from Lithuania, where I'm originally from, to Belgium, doctors in Belgium could reach the medical records easily and see my medical history, in turn making things easier for them and for me as a patient. The another part of the proposal focuses on secondary use of health data, which would be used primarily by researchers, but also by policymakers or pharma. And this is way more controversial than the primary use, um, and am I correct here, Jan, that when discussion turns to the secondary use of, con uh, use of data, the conversation becomes harder? And what are the issues there? Thank you so much. First of all, yes, I think that's correct on the primary use. That seems to be less contentious um, because it's data that's being shared um, within, you know, with, as part of the treatment, basically, um, medical treatment for people, even though um, there is still debate about uh, the possibility for people to control what kind of data, which kind of doctor can see. So, for example, if I've been at psychotherapy, does that automatically mean that my surgeon would have to have access to the data from my psychotherapist? Um, so I, I guess most people would agree that that's not necessarily the case. So I can take control over, over data access is still an issue in primary use. But you're right, the much bigger issue is the one on secondary use. And that's because the way the European Commission has proposed the health data space um, does not set uh, any um, um, recognizable limits as to who can access um, the health data for secondary use, so for research purposes. Um, according to the um, EHDS proposal, it can be any legal or um, natural person that has a data permit, data access permit, um, and that um, and, and to get those permits, it's very unclear what kind of the standards are going to be there. So this could be anyone from the pharmaceutical industry, even to the tech industry. So if Google wants to train their latest um, AI for a new wellness app, for example, 
then that could qualify as um, as research and would allow them to get access to medical records of well basically everyone in the EU um, without um, patients ever being asked about it. On Monday, you shared with me a petition that has been signed by nearly 100,000 people in the EU. It actually focuses on the secondary use of health data. Um, could you please tell us more about what is the petition about and what are the goals there? Yeah, so uh, the petition is organized by WeMove, a European campaigns organization. And um, European Digital Rights, obviously, we we support this very much because um, it is about giving people um, the right to 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 consent or not to the use of, of their medical records for that purpose. The, the petition is called Do No Harm, Don't Give Big Tech Access to Our Medical Records. And you can find it under wemove.eu slash campaigns slash medical records, um, or just search for WeMove and EHDS, you'll find it. Um, and it's, I think it's a great way to show lawmakers that people actually really care about how their medical records um, are being used. I mean, it's understandable. After all, the um, medical information that um, is created when we go to our doctor is some of the most sensitive information that that exists, which is why data protection law, so the GDPR, gives particular emphasis on the need to protect um, health data. So basically, GDPR says health data is super, super important, super valuable. Don't touch it unless you absolutely have to. And then EHDS comes along and says, free for all, you know, whoever wants health data, you know, because it's somehow good for the for the pharma industry and they'll they'll you know somehow cure cancer with it which you know still needs to be proven um and it's not to say that health data isn't valuable for research it absolutely is and in, for some of the research it is even indispensable but that doesn't mean that we can just use people's medical records behind their backs without ever asking them asking them for permission so if I understand correctly, the main aim is to make it clear that people want to have a say if they want their health data being reused and if yes, to what extent. So what are the possible ways that this could be done? Oh, there are numerous ways in which this could be could be made easy for people. Um, well, the most straightforward way would probably be to do this at the time when someone goes to the doctor. Um, I think being at, at, at someone's doctor, you know, this is, the, is a trust trusted relationship, usually it should be, it used to be, um, and who better else than the doctor can give you a valid and well-substantiated opinion about any particular um, research uh, purpose to be relevant for whatever data you're creating. Um, and so there should be an interest in people listening to the recommendations of their doctors. But what is more, once you allow people to, once you ask people for their permission to use data, the um, the responsibility for convincing patients about the need for the research then automatically remains with the people who want to do the research. So with the pharmaceutical companies, for example, it's not a free-for-all, but if they think that something is important, well, hell go out there and convince people that it is. And if you can't do this, maybe it isn't that important after all. But there are, there are various other models, of course, to do this. You could collect consent also at the level of uh, health authorities, for example. You could provide a government-run online portal in which you could provide consent. Um, you could um, even create a really, really slick uh, uh, smartphone app in which people could um, manage their consent, their consent for different research projects. You could allow people to consent to the use of their medical records only for partic particular researchers. You could say, 
only public interest research done by universities, for example, but not industry. You could say only research into this particular type of disease because that's what I have and I know it's important for researchers if it's, for example, a rare disease. Um, all of this is possible if people would, um, you know, on the lawmaker side, put some effort into it um, and, and some in, in imagination. And obviously, if they had contact with the people who build this kind of technology, um, because that's what that's the great thing about us. We have the technology. We, have, we know how to do these kind of things. Um, we just need to want it. It is very interesting because from what I'm hearing, it seems that you would be more in favor of having an opt-in option, which is that patients would have to give the consent. Um, in the meantime, Parliament that is currently working on the file is offering opt-out option, which is rather that patients who do not want their data to be shared should have a say basically, no, I don't want my data being reused. What I was hearing from the MEP Sokol, the rapporteur of this file, he was saying that otherwise, if we have opt-in option, we wouldn't have enough data. So if everyone needs to give consent, in the end of the day, only a few will. And eventually, there won't be enough data to have use useful databases for research. Um, so what is your take on this? Is opt-out option good enough? Well, to be honest, I think having an opt-out right is better than what the commission has proposed. Yes, that would be a slight improvement, but I don't think it would be enough. I understand people that are worried about there not being enough data. Um, I would say to them, well, if people are more inclined to say no, um, maybe there is a reason for it. Maybe we haven't convinced them. Maybe the system isn't as trustworthy as we think it is. Uh, off yet. But I think people who are so afraid of not getting um, patients' consent, they're also probably influenced by the horrible, horrible example that we have in the, in, you know, that everybody knows, which is cookie consent banners, right? Where if, if truly asked whether you want to give up your data for, for advertising tracking, you know, the large majority of people would say no thanks because there is no usefulness for them in there, right? But I don't think that's a particularly good comparison. And I don't think that that is how it would work for for health data for research. As long as you can, can convince people and show people that the data is being used in a responsible manner for purposes that are in their interest, I think it will be easy to convince them to help contribute with their data. Obviously, you know, if you say, oh, I want you all your data for advertising tracking, that's not, not very appealing. Obviously, people say no. Now I want to touch upon a little bit different aspect. Uh, basically, how much should we be concerned about misuse of the data, uh, especially looking at the current Commission's proposal and what could be possible changes in the file to prevent misuse of this highly sens sensitive data? There are different ways health data can be misused, and we've seen most of that already happening in practice. Um, one is the risk um, of abuse by um, private entities, so researchers, for example, um, that can either be a, on, a, on a societal scale, so you take big data in and you analyze the data and that gives you insights that you can then um, use, for example, for marketing, even though marketing is excluded um, in the law, but it could also be that you use it for some other, other commercial purposes, which 
have no medical added value for people in terms of, you know, what people imagine, like, you know, creating new medication or something like that. So that could be totally out of scope here. And that's because the list of permitted purposes um, in the EHDS is so long and the limitations are so little. Um, so that's the first threat that exists. Um, the second threat that exists is simple data leakage. As soon as you start amassing huge amounts of sensitive personal data in a single centralized space, which will be the case at some point in this process, um, and that will be governed and run, um, then the likelihood of that being um, accidentally or through hacking leaked or breached um, is 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 not zero, right? And it's 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 pretty high actually because the bigger the uh, the amount of data you centralize, the stronger is the incentive for any attacker to attack this particular very big pool. So first thing we did at Adri when the proposal came out was that we started doing research about the number of health data breaches and leaks that have happened in the past. And that's not of some centralized database, that's decentralized database, so small databases, a um, couple of million people at each time. And in the last 10 years, you have dozens of dozens of data breaches of health data, which incredibly negative impacting for uh, of, of patients. Um, just to give you two examples, um, one is a huge data, data, data leak in the US um, from a health healthcare provider. Um, the whole database was breached and the attackers wanted to, well, wanted to have ransom. So it was a pure criminal kind of hacking. Um, and uh, the healthcare provider refused to pay. The result is the hackers just dumped uh, the data uh, onto the internet, including um, nude pictures from breast cancer patients. And you can imagine what kind of damage this does to patients if that kind of information um, becomes publicly available. And that's just one of dozens of examples, hundreds of millions of patients um, uh, that are affected by it. And we just don't give this enough, um, enough attention, I think. And the third threat, we haven't even talked about, and that is malicious government abuse um, of this data. And you know, many people don't necessarily expect this to happen in their own country, but just look around in the EU what kind of governments we're having in some of those countries. And you know, you've got places, you know, where where abortion, for example, is made illegal in most situations. Imagine what kind of um, uh, intrusive. Um, spying uh, governments could do if they had access to health data of everybody in the country and they could find and actively look for indicators um, of potential interest in abortion and then go after women in a very targeted manner. So that's highly damaging and highly dangerous. I think what you're raising here is really important, but then at the same time, I still see the importance of having European health data space running. So then I wonder, is there a way, of course, probably there is no 100% security, but at least a way to minima uh, minimize the risks? And uh, should there be more attention paid in the proposal to the potential safeguards? No, you're totally right. There is no such thing as 100% security, um, but you can improve the security, of course. And I think the, the few things that the EHDS would need to be improved um, is... Uh, ask people for their permission before you use their data, right? So consent is kind of the baseline um, of protecting people. Um, make sure that there is possibilities for researchers to actually reach out to people, either through their doctors or directly um, to ask people for permission. That's also super important because yes, we do want people who want to contribute their data, we, we want to give them the chance to do so. Um, limit the list of purposes. Um, exclude stuff like AI and 
big tech, anything that could, you know, allow the use of data for research that is not directly related to medical treatment or the furtherance of medical treatment. Okay. Um, and the last thing maybe uh, is prevent any long-term or even, you know, wherever you can, even short-term centralized storage of health data for, by governments. Um, make it decentralized, make it encrypted wherever you can, anonymize wherever you can, create a clear definition of what anonymization is, because it's very hard to anonymize data in health, and also acknowledge when anonymization is not possible, and then replace it with encryption. Make sure that data access is minimal, minimal wherever you can, and just treat health data as being toxic. And we see the commission doing the opposite. They treat it as a valuable good to be dealt with, to be traded, um, to be thrown onto the market, to be commercialized. And that's the opposite of what we want. It's the opposite of what GDPR was aimed to do, where you know everything is about data minimization and not free for all. And that's what the EHDS can be great, um, but we need to make it compatible with the principles of GDPR, um, and then it can be really useful. I hope that European lawmakers are listening to this and can take at least some of this into consideration. And you already mentioned GDPR, and I want to talk about already existing acts that have potential to influence how European health data space will operate. So European health data space overlaps with the Data Act, the Data Govern uh, Governance Act, as well to some extent with the Digital Markets Act and other provisions that are yet to be finalized but are coming soon. For example, the Interoperable uh, Europe Act proposal. Um, how are all these acts working together? Um, do they clash directly or indirectly? So, yeah, it, I would say it depends. I'm not an expert on all of these laws that you mentioned. Um, when it comes to the Digital Markets Act, I would say this should help because the goal of the DMA is to reduce corporate power where you, you have situations of gatekeepers. So I wouldn't say there is a direct effect, but maybe there is an indirect effect. I think, as far as I can tell, the Data Act and now the EHDS, which kind of is you know an implementation of that in a way, um, just is founded on a big misunderstanding, a political misunderstanding, that is, um, we could somehow further economic development and create better tech startups and, 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 and industry in the EU by creating a data market. So by commercializing, commodifying personal data. So rather than seeing personal data as a as a valuable item of the right to privacy, which is a fundamental right, we would see it as a commodity, um, which you can trade away and sell. And that's a big misunderstanding and is completely incompatible with the spirit and the letter of GDPR. Um, so I hope that the next commission will kind of undo that, what I see as a misguided way uh, and, um, and, and recognize the, the importance for, for personal data um, for the right to privacy. Um, I, it's hard to say whether all this is compatible legally with GDPR because Article 9 of GDPR that um, that um, rules about health data is, is a bit fluffy and has a lot of loopholes that can be used for things like the EHDS. Um, but it also, again, it's politically such a weird situation to have a law that contradicts the basic principles of what GDPR was supposed to achieve. Um, yes, I do hear that the commission, I do hope that the commissioners will listen to this. Um, if not, I hope that they will listen to the tens of tens of thousands of people who have signed the the petition. So to end on the brighter note, you're not against European health data space, correct? 
uh, you just want to see more empowerment for the citizens when it comes to their health data being shared. Yes, absolutely. I'm generally the idea that the health systems of the EU should be digitized. Sure, you know, it makes things more efficient. Make it possible for people to be treated across borders in the EU. Yes, absolutely. That's super useful for people traveling. Um, it's just let's not, let's make sure that people have control over their own, their own medical records. Thank you so much, Jan, for this insightful conversation. Thank you. Pleasure all mine. If you're enjoying listening to your Active's Health podcast, a friendly reminder that you can subscribe to our newsletter that comes out every Wednesday, the same weekday as our podcast. We will make sure to keep you updated with the main EU health news. And don't forget to check other Euractive podcasts, AgriFood Brief, Tech Brief, and Beyond the Byland. You can listen to us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. That is all from us today. Thank you for listening. We also want to hear from you. So if you have something to say, don't hesitate to drop us a line. Our email address is podcast at euractive.com or contact us on Twitter or LinkedIn. This episode was brought to you thanks to our multimedia team. So special thanks to them. Until next Wednesday, stay healthy.